0: Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Good morning as he brings the word. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to be with you and. Uh, appreciate uh, pastor Steve giving me the opportunity to speak to you this morning uh, it is so sort of nice to be in town I've been in town for uh, almost uh, a month and uh, but it ends uh, this week so but it's been great to be here and delighted that our daughter is here with us and uh, we appreciate all of you being here very much if you'll turn in your Bibles with me I want to read two passages of scripture uh, the first I want to read to you is from Isaiah 35. And I think we've got it set to begin reading down around verse 3. The reading is from the uh, New King James Version of the Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fear-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then if you'll turn to Mark's account of the gospel in Mark chapter 7 beginning at verse 31 Again departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon he that is Jesus came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the midst or, or to the sea of Galilee then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech and they begged him to put his hand on him and he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue then looking up to heaven he sighed and said to him Ephata that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the moot to speak. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word for us today. Let's pray. We give you thanks, O Lord, for your wonderful love to us. We thank you for the songs that have lifted our hearts to you, for the privilege of giving in offerings to you and worshiping you, for the prayers that have been offered up, for the intercessions that are, are so near for us of needs and concerns and hopes and opportunities. I Thank you for what Passion Church is doing here in Oklahoma City and around the world. I thank you for the heart of this pastor and his wife, for the heart of uh, these men and women who are gathering together with a passion for you to make an impact and make a difference here in this part of the world. We pray that you will touch our hearts with your grace Take my feeble effort to communicate, O Lord, and you do that miracle that only you can do and open our minds, our spirits for your transforming grace. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you for a few minutes uh, this morning, uh, somewhat around the, uh, at least using as a jumping off point, the health care debate that's going on in our country. Uh, I'm not going to say much about it, actually. It's just a jumping-off point. And I, um, I use it and, and make reference to it today uh, in light of the fact that, as a nation, we're making big decisions. And wherever you happen to be on those decisions, God bless you and, and God bless our president and our Congress as they make the right decisions. But it's been a, a contentious debate, as all of you know, in this country. And much of the debate is how do we provide health care that, that's open for everyone, at least within whatever definitions one has of that on the political spectrum. And uh, as I've thought about that, I've, I've found myself thinking that we here in the church, the body of Jesus Christ around the world, we have an opportunity. Whatever the political decisions that are made in this country and political decisions that are made in in the over 103 countries where the Pentecostal Holiness Church serves and where we have missionaries serving today and national leaders making an impact. As, as, I, as I think about that the great spectrum of health care, the gospel brings an opportunity to, to us to be men and women who understand that Jesus loves the world so much that his death on Calvary provided healing for people the New Testament even used the doctor to write uh, two of the books, Luke and Acts, that make up the majority of the New Testament. God cares about health care, and He cares about it in a way that's, that's bipartisan and in a way that's transgenerational. And in a way that really touches not only the physical needs of people, but the emotional and the spiritual and every social need of humanity is met by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it means we have an opportunity to understand that and make an impact in that. Think about it in terms of the fact that around the world, uh, not just through the Pentecostal Holiness Church, but but by by that multitude of movements around the world that... uh, uh, to go under the name of Jesus Christ. One of the things we all do is that we send doctors and, and nurses and pharmacists and folk who go and they volunteer time, or they go and they live. Our own movement. We have, we have doctors who go as, as missionaries and live in other parts of the world, and they're there to provide care for people. As I think about uh, uh, this dimension of the gospel, you're constantly taken back to the message of Jesus and to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, it seems, over and over again, is involved in dealing with the health care needs of people, whether it's mental health, spiritual health, or physical health. In some instances, he's talking about the larger issues of social health for a society. Jesus is involved with the needs of people. And he's always searching. It's an interesting thing that happens in the text that I read to you out of Mark's uh, account of the gospel. Jesus came primarily to the Jews. He made it clear that much of his ministry was meant to be to the Jew first. It was not that he didn't love Gentiles, and most of us in here today are Gentiles, perhaps all of us. It's not that he didn't love us. It's just simply that God's purposes to bring redemption to humanity had begun through the line of Abraham. And faith, which originated as as the dynamic out of which God would operate, not not simply started with Abraham, but as the spirit that was captured with one family line that became the Jews through Abraham, That that Jesus understood that his mission, first of all, was to call Israel to be what they were meant to be, a light to the Gentiles, a people who would proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ, And so that the Gentiles would turn to the goodness of God and the righteousness of God through the message of Abraham that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. In that part of his ministry, while he focused on that, he did not exclude the Gentiles. I didn't read the text to you, but in Mark chapter 7, and the story that just precedes the story that I read, Jesus has gone up into an area known as Tyre and Sidon. It's up in, in northwest uh, uh, Israel today and, and in uh, the, the area we call Lebanon today. And he goes to an area that even today people who live there, including Pentecostal holiness people who live in that area, they call themselves Phoenicians. That's how they refer to themselves. They are Phoenicians. And Jesus goes and ministers to a lady in desperate need. Her daughter is, is in desperate need of deliverance. And, and Jesus offers that to her. He leaves from there, and he goes to the area known as the Decapolis. I think we have a slide on this. And let me show you something about this. It's a rather interesting pier, uh, a place. You can see it on the map there. Uh, you see where the, uh, the Sea of Galilee is located. It's that small blue dot right up there in the middle. And you can see that area that's known there on the map as the Decapolis. And that's a Greek word. It means a, 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 a ten cities. And that whole area around the Sea of Galilee has these ten cities, uh, many of whom in their current state, that is uh, of the time of Jesus, they date from about 100 and 150 years earlier. Uh, but they have been occupied through various seasons. They have gone through... Multitudes of conquering and of social upheaval. They they've been conquered by the Egyptians nearly a thousand, uh, nearly two thousand years earlier. Uh, they've been conquered by, conquered by the Assyrians. They were conquered by the Babylonians three hundred years earlier. They were conquered by the Greeks, and now the Romans control them. and And they have become Gentile territory. Yes, they know something about the Jews who live around them. But but this is predominantly Gentile territory. They they go and they worship at the Greek and Roman shrines of Aphrodite. They 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 are Greek culture. They think like Greeks. They think like Romans. Uh, Roman garrisons are there. They're located on a major trade route, and that's because empires have won- uh, because of that trade route. Empires have wanted to control them. They, they they're not Jews. They don't know who who the Lord God of Israel is. They think like Greeks. They worship like Greeks. They're pagans. They're heathens, we would call them today. They're they're Americans. They're Western Europeans. They're Oklahomans. They're us. They've been influenced by the same things that influence all of us. And Jesus goes to them, and he begins to minister to them. I'm going to suggest to you that the episode of the healing of this, this man who's described as death and with an impediment of speech, that, that he is a, a symbol, a model, if you will, of what's going on in a world that's dominated by the Gentile spirit. Let me describe that for you. The New New Testament does a really good job in two key places of describing that. The first place is in Romans chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul writing to the Gentile world with its center in Rome. Uh, He he describes it in a number of different ways. He he says in verse uh, 18, he talks about unrighteous men who suppress the truth. That's part of the spirit of the Gentile world. In verse 21, he says that, that because of that, they do not glorify God, neither are they grateful for the things of God. How many people do we, do we know, uh, we are we of we shoulders with in the spirit of our age today, who, who do not live with a sense of gratitude? You ever run into people who never say thank you? verse, uh, he continues in verse 21. He says, they are futile. That means they're empty in their thinking. Their hearts are darkened. Verse 22, he says, they are fools instead of wise. Verse 23, they're idolaters. And because of that idolatry in verse 26, it leads to all kinds of sexual perversion and, and, uh, and things that are a misarrangement of the ultimate purposes of God between men and women. In verse 28, and this is really one of the key verses. It seems so descriptive of our world today. He says, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Knowledge is that that structure, the gathering of knowledge and understanding. It's the epistemology. It's that structure of understanding we have of how we understand the world around us. He says, in the Gentile world, they did not retain God in their framework of knowledge. That sounds really familiar today. You go to Paul's comments in Ephesians chapter 4, at verse 17. He says, don't walk as the Gentiles do. He's talking to people who have, who have become followers of Jesus. And he, he says, they walk in the futility of their minds. He says, their understanding is darkened. He says they are alienated from the life of God. Alienated. And then in verse 19, he says no, have, they have no feelings towards God. He says they are past feelings. It's more than an emotional statement. It's a statement about they don't even have an awareness. They are so seared. In their hardness spiritually, they don't even have an awareness of who the true God is who's revealed himself in the Bible and revealed himself in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his son Jesus Christ. They, they they're lost. Because it's the world we we live in. Some of us in here, like your pastor and and me, we we grew up in, in Christian homes. Our dads. Uh, his dad is still a minister. My dad's with the Lord, but my dad was a minister. And, and I, somebody's asked me, when did you get saved? I don't have a clue. I think I was saved while I was still in my mother's womb. And they just beat the devil out of me later on. And, and you know, and, and, and it took a lot of beatings, and probably, if they were still here, would suggest I need it again on occasion. But, but I, I, I grew up with the knowledge of God. I, I grew up hearing the old, old story. My first songs were, Jesus loves me, this I know. I, I don't remember a time without prayer. I don't remember a time without Jesus. But that's not the world we live in today. Many of you have come in to the life of Jesus Christ. But, but all you had was some vague social awareness out there that maybe there was something called Christianity that, that so there was something about Christmas there. You know, I know about Santa Claus and I know about the lights and, and, and you know, there's something about a manger that I read about in court cases. And, and this thing, Easter, is just another school holiday that we get some time out. Yay for the bunny. And, and, and you know, we just live in a world where it's so much like the world that Jesus encountered when he came to this man. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus did not avoid these kind of people. He didn't avoid you and me. And he saw that as as the fact this is the message of God's blessing through Abraham. It's health care that's open to everybody. And so he comes and he ministers to this man. I, I made a, a comment a moment ago. This man is somewhat of a paradigmatic expression of, of what this world is like. So let's, let's take a look at it for a second. Let's look at the death and the, the speech impediment that's operating in the life of this man. Uh, this is a man who, who cannot hear. Now, we don't know if, if this was a congenital issue something he was born with that seems to be some indication by the use of the language, particularly the word, the the Greek word that's used for this man's speech impediment. Uh, Interestingly enough, the only other place this Greek word is used in the Bible, uh, 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 is used in Isaiah 35, which is why I tie it, and I'll show you the connection to that in just a moment. There seems to be some indication that that's not about a man who who was totally deaf from birth and never understood how to speak at all. This is a man who at one time had been able to hear and had some capacity for speech, but something has happened where his tongue and his lips, particularly his tongue, he simply cannot speak clearly any longer. Maybe at a young age, his hearing was impacted, something has occurred. I run into people like that today. How many folk have you ever seen, and I see this a lot in airports, and I've, I did it recently, in fact, and my wife corrected me on it. I had my, my uh, uh, iTunes music playing through the speakers in my ear, and she asked me a question, and I replied without taking the speakers out because I'm listening to my music. I'm thinking that I'm speaking at a normal volume when I answer her. And my answer gets this immediate tone down. The whole mall can hear you. And, you know, our hearing affects our speech. And, and this is what's going on in this episode with this man. You know, um, hearing actually precedes speech. How do you think children learn how to speak? They learn by hearing. It's uh, it's an interesting thing. Jesus takes in this deaf man. He comes and the text tells us he sticks his fingers in his ears. Now, I don't know quite what's going on from a physiological standpoint there. Something's going on. I asked my wife about it. She's in the medical profession. She said, you know, it's hard to know what was going on. Maybe the way that Jesus' fingers touched his ears might have done something in, in the way that... Uh, Uh, the I'm trying to get the right word here Susan help me with it Uh, the air the pressure the pressure in the ears may have caused something to have to have uh, broken open so that this man can hear right who knows what went on from a physiological standpoint always all we know is that somehow a miracle occurred by the fingers of Jesus touching this man's ears he opened his ability to hear The Gentiles are lost because they cannot and they will not hear God's truth. This man, until he can hear, he cannot be set free. This man cannot understand how to speak clearly and how to speak with hope until his ears have been touched by the power of God. And what Jesus does is he puts his fingers in his ears. Now, there's something significant about this in terms of the finger of God. I want to take you back to a couple of interesting places. One is in Exodus, uh, in Exodus 31, 18. The word, the term the finger of God is used there. Not the first time, by the way. Interestingly enough, uh, it's used earlier in Exodus when Pharaoh initially looks at one of the miracles performed by, by Moses and Aaron and says, this is the work of the finger of God. He recognizes that God is at work in it, but because of the hardness of his heart, because he has that Gentile spirit that has dominion over his life, he cannot break through that, that bound spirit, that, that spirit that's binding him to understand what's going on and the deliverance God wants to bring to him as well. But you find in Exodus 31, that when the tablets of the law are described, it says that God wrote with his finger the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. The finger of God is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at work in writing the Ten Commandments, engraving them into stone. When you turn to, to uh, Luke chapter 11, there in verse 20, Jesus says, If I, by the finger of God, same expression, if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons, then you know that the kingdom of God is near to you. Jesus said that in his very presence, the divine authority that had written God's redeeming a formative law for all humanity at Sinai by the very presence of Jesus. He is, by his fingers, touching people and bringing near the reality of the kingdom of God. When he touches our ears with the spirit of life, he brings life to us. And the kingdom of God comes near into our lives and changes how we live. We don't live with confusion and disorientation and alienated from God. We then begin to live with hope and truth and righteousness and God's understanding of what it means to live as his citizens in this kingdom. That's that touch that comes with the grace of God, the touching of Jesus. Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10, when he's talking about how the gospel gets spread, He says that the gospel gets spread because faith comes by hearing. You see, guys, if we can't hear God's truth, we can't walk in truth. We're going to continue to walk in our ignorance and our alienation from God. Faith, faith does not arise out of how good I feel. Uh, I, I hate to sort of Go to this I really didn't plan to talk about it at all today but I, I just this sort of illustrates it really there are two sad groups of people in in Oklahoma today OU fans and Georgia fans our family we're Georgia fans we're sad pe- we're sad puppies today OU fans have broken wheels on their boomer sooner the only people happy today are wearing orange so if I depended on, on the circumstances of life to, to create faith for me, this would really be a bummer of a day. Instead, faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes by the word of God. I hear correctly because of God's word. Do you understand what's going on here when Jesus touches this man? What happens then when Jesus touches this man's tongue? This is an interesting part of the story. Jesus spits on his fingers and he reaches the spittle into this man's mouth and touches the tongue of this man. I don't, I don't have a clue what's going on medicinally there. I couldn't, I can't find anybody who can tell me what that medicine's about. And if I start sort of stammering this morning, I'd ask you not to do it to me. Only my wife can do that to me. If Jesus walks in, he can do that to me. But don't come up to me and spit on your fingers and do this number to me. But Jesus was able to do that. What's going on there? What's the spit? It's saliva. It's it's, it's basically water that the, the mouth produces. It's an interesting thing happening. Jesus understands that you can't speak clearly until you can hear. But if you've been hearing the wrong stuff for a long time, you're still tongue-tied. That's why there are folk who, who come to know Jesus, but they still say things that they really ought not to say. They still think things that they really ought not to think. It takes them a while to work from hearing clearly to speaking clearly and coming to that place where their words speak truth and their words speak edification. Have I mean, you ever had anybody come to you, and, and maybe you've done it yourself, you, you, know, you know they're born again, you know they love Jesus, but they come to you, and instead of edifying you by what they say, they bring you down. And your first thought is, hey, I thought you were a Christian. How come you're tearing me down instead of lifting me up? It's because the hearing and the speech are having to work to coordinate themselves. We call that in our tradition sanctification. We call that holiness of God bringing a wholeness between the hearing and the speaking. So that what we speak is life to people. It's one of the most critical things that the world needs from you and me as a part of Passion Church. It needs for us to speak life and edification. It gets enough condemnation. They're already condemned and they know it. They're already depressed and they know it. They, they try to deny the reality of the damnation that's operating all around them, but deep down inside they know it. They need somebody like you and me who've been touched by the water of life and speak life to them. That brings me back to this Isaiah 35 passage because it's quite interesting what goes on in the language there. I can't help but think that Jesus may have had this passage in mind because the Isaiah 35 passage is a prophecy related to the, the judgment that had come upon Israel during the time of Isaiah with the Assyrian conquest, he knows what it is for the people who live in the areas that have been conquered by the Assyrians, areas like the Decapolis. And he turns to them and he begins to say to them that the glory of God is going to come through the wilderness and the desert of your life. He says, go ahead, strengthen your weak hands. Make firm your feeble knees. Say to those that are... Fear hearted, be strong, don't be afraid. Then he says that the good news is coming to you. The eyes of the blind are going to be open. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. They're going to hear. They're going to hear truth and life. Then he says that the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb, the word that's translated dumb there in the Septuagint, The Greek Greek Old Testament is exactly the same word I mentioned earlier that's used there in Mark chapter 7, that they're going to learn how to speak clearly, and they're going to sing. There won't be confusion in what they say. They will sing. Then he says, For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. He ties this, this loosening of the tongue To the releasing and the touching of water of life that flows. And that is, again, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God touches our ears and touches our mouth, we are set free to proclaim the glory of God, to live in praise, to sing the songs of Zion. Even when we're walking through our wilderness, our God reigns. I shall not be defeated by what comes my way in life. We are more than overcomers. And the words of hope that come out of our mouth is not I have lost, and not I'm a loser, and not I'm going to perish, but my God knows me, and He loves me, and He will carry me through this. That's why, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. We understand how to speak to ourselves as well as how to speak to others. I can't help but think about it. The touching of the mouth. All through the Scriptures, you get, you get God doing something with our mouth. Isaiah 6, the lips are touched by the coal of the holiness of God, the fire, the, that, that coal from the fire of God's holiness. Here, the, the water of Jesus out of his own mouth touches this man's life and it puts this man in a position to ultimately begin to speak words that are clear and change the lives of men and women i um back in the spring i was in uh kiev ukraine and uh we have a wonderful church and movement in kiev Christian Hope Church, wonderful leaders. And I, I've been there before. I love going there. And in fact, i would be there again in October. And uh, in this particular meeting, something significant took place. Two, two things the Lord showed me. One, one was a, a real incident that occurred, and another was an insight into what had happened. I became aware that in this, this congregation, the, the leaders of this movement Some had been former Communist Party leaders. Uh, Others had been uh, a part of the military apparatus of the old Soviet empire. But they had been, they were men and women who had either come to Christ during that or in one instance the leader in the entire movement had been a Christian since he was a young boy. And God had preserved him all the way up through being a Ph.D. in, in sonar where he helped develop the nuclear sonar systems of the Soviet era submarines. And yet all through that he remained a a brother of us, a a Christian. And it it struck me the last time I was there because they have a church of over a thousand in one location and about 80 other satellite churches spreading all over the Ukraine. It dawned on me first of all that here are people who had lived, for their time, they had lived about 70 years under the Iron Curtain of Soviet communism. They understood what it was for millions of people to die because of policies instituted out of Moscow. Millions of Ukrainians were literally starved to death on purpose by the Soviet system. They understood what it was to live through that a godless system, a system that did not retain the knowledge of God. And yet they understood that there are people that they will hear the word of God and have been touched by God that they will still nonetheless faithfully proclaim that they shall persevere and they will, the church of Jesus Christ, will outlive all the isms of this age. And they came through that, and they're strong, and they're vibrant, and they're making an impact on their society. And I, I, I left from there thinking, here are people who may be in a position to teach us because we in the West, Western Europe and North America, we are going through this, this godless season where our whole culture does not want to retain any knowledge of God and any knowledge of His truth And we're going to come to the place where we will either despair or we will recognize the gospel will overcome this. They need to teach us, this is how you overcome. The day I was there, I spoke on a Sunday morning. But before I spoke, they had had, they were having the conclusion of a a conference they were having there where they had brought people in from across the Ukraine and other parts of Eastern Europe who were, who were spirit-filled Christians but they were deaf they had about 40 people there for this deaf conference and before I spoke they had some of them uh, stand up and speak in sign language and 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 you know how deaf people applaud you know when, uh, this is how we applaud deaf people applaud like this on everybody you can applaud you can do this this is how deaf people applaud and and so I was sitting up near them during the service, and, and you could see when everybody else was applauding and worshiping God, they're doing this number. It's, it's very moving. They had two of their young men who came up and preached in sign language, deaf men, translated into Russian, then into English, for for a few Americans that were there. And, and it, wonderful messages. Later in the afternoon, I was still there at the church, and the pastor came over, and he said, Our deaf conference is having its closest session, and they'd like for you to come over and give a final word of greeting and then pray for them. I walked in there, had no idea what I was going to encounter, and walked into an area probably about the, the size of your meeting area back in there. And these people were full of such joy. Their conference had been about... How can we as deaf people evangelize the 360 million deaf people around the world? They weren't trying to figure out how are we going to get by. They were there because even though they were deaf and they could not speak the way we speak, they could speak like this and they had, More than the population of the United States around the world of people like them who needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ they had a mission and they had a passion for it I walked in there with them I had already heard them make reference to the 360 million and so said something to them and said God is calling you to not only be missionaries in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe God's calling some of you to go to the ends of the world and make sure that every one of the 360 million get to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Because on the other side, their ears will be open and their tongues will be released. As I, as I, I shared that, they're doing this number. They're beaming from ear to ear. And they're praising God and applauding. When I began to pray. The interpreter with the hands was, was interpreting. And, and through each, I got to a point in the prayer where I felt the Holy Spirit. It just moving in a powerful way and began to prophesy upon them as a group collectively. And the Holy Spirit fell upon that group of deaf men and women, some perhaps congenitally, others perhaps later in life. And they began to open their mouths. And then in, not in the articulate sounds that you and I make but in sounds that the Apostle Paul describes as moanings and groanings and, and, and things of the Spirit. They opened their mouths and they began to speak in other tongues declaring the glory of Jesus Christ. I began to weep. When the prayer time ended and hugged them and walked out, they finished their meeting. I went into another room, some other Americans with me. We just sat down and wept. No sense of pity for them, but sense of deep gratitude for God because here were people who were not going to let anything stand in the way. I'm telling you, my dear friends, this morning, Jesus wants to touch our ears. The finger of God will enable you to hear, to save your marriage, to save your your soul, and the touch of Jesus, the living water, to touch our mouths so we can faithfully declare to this generation that cannot hear who he really is. The Spirit of God will enable them to hear. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Thank you that you touched our ears. Even those of us who grew up in this and, and either became hardened or are so familiar we don't even listen anymore. We ask that you come and you touch us again. Put the finger of God into our, the ears of our heart and open our ears for what you're calling us to. Help us hear your word. Lord, forgive us for the ways that, that we have bought into a knowledge base that does not retain you. Forgive us for the ways we've absorbed that, even unconsciously. Lord, come and touch our, our lips and our tongue. Release us to speak life, and hope, the gospel, your grace to everyone we with whom we contact and every place you send us. Give us your grace in that pray for men and women today who need to hear your liberating word in their life that their ears will be open to hear in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit Amen 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 I want you to stand with me this morning